Welcome to our podcast, Conversations About Student Mental Health. I'm Chris Leonard, clinical social worker, working with adolescents for over 25 years. In this podcast, I talk with school administrators, educators, clinicians, and parents to open a dialogue that will help the growing number of students struggling with mental illness. In our last two episodes, we looked at the phenomenon of school refusal. First, from the perspective of an educational leader who utilizes best practices to prevent school refusal before it takes hold and to respond effectively when it does. And second, from the perspective of a parent who supported her own child in overcoming school refusal and who now supports parents facing this struggle. What became clear in both of these episodes was the importance of the relationship between school and parent. A strong working relationship with parents may be both more important today and more challenging today than ever before. If you are a regular listener, you know that today's students are facing significant mental health challenges. According to the CDC, one in six children aged two to eight has a diagnosable mental, behavioral, or developmental disorder, and diagnoses of depression and anxiety only increase with age. These children and youth are among the estimated 7 million children ages 3 to 21 in the U.S. who are identified as in need of special education services. As we continue the transition from remote back to in-person learning, educators are anticipating a new wave of students to be identified as in need of special education services. During remote learning, many students experience gaps in academic, social, and emotional development. In fact, educators I'm currently coaching have pointed out that they have first and second graders who have never experienced a normal year of school, middle school students whose last year in the classroom was in fourth grade, and high school seniors who are applying to college but feeling completely unprepared to make that transition. Educators also note that we talk about how crucial mental wellness is but at the same time, our teachers are facing unprecedented pressure to get their students caught up academically. And parents are worried about what their children have missed out on and how their school will, ins will ensure stability and readiness for the next steps their children will need to take. Needless to say, the current situation can be a recipe for tension between parents and educators. So how do we foster positive working relationships between educators and parents? My guest today has some answers. Dr. Jerry Crisanino is the Assistant Superintendent of Special Education Services in the Jersey City Public Schools, who currently serves over 4,200 students with disabilities. Both a clinical and school psychologist by training, Dr. Crisanino has extensive experience working with parents and community members in addressing areas such as transition, family engagement, and dealing with mental health challenges. Dr. Crisanino chairs the NJASA Special Education Committee, is a member of the DOE's ESSA Stakeholders Group, as well as a frequent presenter for NJPSA and NJSBA, having served on his own local board of education for over 16 years. Dr. Crisanino, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Chris. I'm thrilled to be here. Um, and listening to you talk, it, um, it really enforces, reinforces to me how important this topic is. 
you know, because we're all living it nowadays. And it's so important to see this journey, this educational journey that all of our students experience as a partnership. And no longer is it that it's the school's responsibility and the parents' responsibility and um, the mental health providers. It's all of us together um, because we all have an invested interest in our students being successful, learning to be contributing members of our community because as members of the community, they're our future. And if we don't take it seriously and we don't do everything to support them, we are going to experience the negative side of that when we don't have a group of students that can be productive in life and contribute. And um, so it's important. It's important that we all take ownership in this. Um, so thank you. Again, I think it's a great topic to talk about and I'm I'm here to just give my little piece of wisdom um, because there's many, many people in this field that um, are no more than I or have other ideas to, um, to share. And the way we are able to be successful is to learn from each other. So it's important we always listen to people in the field and especially to the parents because they are the experts of their children. That's such an excellent point. Um, I, I know one of the things, I know one of, you know, you don't just talk about parents. Um, you talk about parents and you talk about community stakeholders. And, and clearly from what you've just said, you recognize how important relationships and partnerships are because it's really not any of us operating in a vacuum. It really does need to be virtually any, anything we're trying to get done with regard to schools and students needs to be done in the context of a partnership. Um, how, how did you come to this recognition yourself? How did you, how did you arrive at that? Because uh, it just seems so natural to how you operate. Well, I think it is natural, and I think it's natural for all of us because we've mm -hmm. all gone through these experiences. We all see whether it be with our own children or our relatives or our own self in an educational situation that we all need help. And we are we rely on others to help us move through whatever system it may be, whether it's the educational system, the business system, whatever that system may be, it always has to be a group effort. And I think when I was growing up, it was more, you let the educators, I look, I look very young, but I'm not that young. Um, you let <laughs> the educators um, do their job. And you know the parents would be just there to basically yell at you if you didn't get the best grade in the class. But we learned over the years that that's not the way education is. It has to be a continuum. You come to school, you learn, you learn at home, you learn when you're in the park with your friends. We're continually learning. And we have to build on those experiences. And education no longer is just sitting in a classroom and learning you know, the, um, the, the three R's. It's now learning how to exist in life. And a good educator, and we have thousands of good educators in Jersey City and throughout the state of New Jersey who do that every day. And that's when you realize, gee, we have to do this because we have to be partners with our family because most of the time the children are learning at home or experiences outside the school. So let's work with them 
to be able to reinforce what we're doing and to understand how their child learns. Because as a psychologist um, and as people in the mental health field as you are, we know that everyone learns differently. And who knows better about how their child learns but the parent? Because they're teaching them from birth. So they will tell you if you have conversations with them, you know, Johnny, it doesn't pay attention that much, but if you write it down, he'll learn. Or if you, you know, speak in this fashion, you do. And so that's the importance that you learn when you start working in a pre-K system. How do children learn? And I did pre-K for many years. And that's what you would assess. How do I get across to this child? And parents are key to that because they're teaching them all the time, even if it's not in a formal setting. So I think that was it, just the experience of saying, how do people learn? And people learn mm-hmm. from the people they're with most of the time, parents, grandparents, neighbors, friends. And that's why I think we in the field believe it's so important to make this a group effort to teach our children. So starting with a question is always good. When, you know, when I think about how children <clears throat> learn, I always think about the questions that children ask. And those, they, they ask you those questions from the moment they can speak. You know, why, right. is, you know why is the sky blue? Uh, right. Why does the sun come up in the morning? Um, <laughs> why do I have to go to school? That's right. Um, you know, there's all, there are you know, infinite numbers of whys. Right. So we, we've, I, I think we've established why these relationships are so important. How do you do it? How do you go about it um, in Jersey City? How do you, what are some of the key steps that you take to foster these kinds of relationships? I think the most important thing to do is to be empathetic, to understand that all of this is new to a parent or to a stakeholder or a grandparent or whomever you might be dealing with. This isn't their expertise. This is why they're coming to the educators. And we have to appreciate that. And I think when we don't do that, problems arise. When we feel like, well, we just told you this and you should understand it. No, no, this isn't their area. We're just like me going into um, an engineering company and, and people telling me how you build a, a car, for instance, I would have no idea how to do it. I don't even know how to change my oil. But so look at the parent and understand this is new to them. And how can we help them realize that we're in this to help their child? Nobody goes into the education field if they don't like children. Nobody goes in if they don't want children to learn. Why would we do this? So we need to tell the parent or let them feel from the beginning, look, we're here because we're invested in your child learning. You're invested in your child learning. And so we have to work together. So I think it's really being empathetic from the beginning and understanding their limitations and our limitations, which is we don't know these children. And we don't know often their experiences at home, in the community, or other areas. And we need to learn those. And I'm not saying we need to be intrusive and ask a million questions that don't involve us, but we have to understand where they're coming from. And mm-hmm, when we mm-hmm. understand it, then we could understand how we need to approach it and how we can approach the parent. Because if a parent is from a community 
where they're distress, distrustful of outside people, or they're going to be distrustful of the teacher or the child study team or whoever's working with them. And that doesn't mean they don't want to work with you. That means we have to get over that barrier. And so maybe right. we have to work a little harder with those people. So I think it's really, like we said, understanding, you know, where somebody's coming from. And I think that's the key. We have to be empathetic. Um, I often tell our interns when they start, you have to understand that we have a child, say, with some challenges for X amount of hours a day. As a parent, they have them all day. And not only are they worried about learning, they're worried about them succeeding in life. And so it's not easy to be a parent of a student with disabilities because you are constantly worried about the future. All parents are, but think about having a child with a certain challenge. And all you keep on thinking is, how are they going to get through in life? And I'm not always going to be there. And I think we have to remember that. And if we look at that, then we could say, okay, I kind of understand where they're coming from. So for us, that's where we start here. Where are they coming from? And then yeah, it's a, we can go from yeah. there. Sorry, no, go, sorry, go ahead, Jerry. No, no, that's what I'm saying. Then we can go from there. We can go from yeah. there. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking about how many parents I've spoken to over the years who've had negative experiences <clears throat> at one point or another, right. you know, and, and some come in with sometimes a parent comes in with the assumption that, oh, this is going to be one more of those times yeah. when <clears throat> my child doesn't get what they need or mm. I'm not heard. Um, so, you know, obviously, sometimes the relationship doesn't start out in the best place. Right. And, and sometimes the parent, you know, there, there are plenty of people, whether, whether they're in a coffee shop or, or you know, the, the supermarket or whether they're coming into a child study team meeting, they think the only way I'm going to get what I want is I need to be tough and adversarial. That's right. That's right. So how do you recover when you've gotten <clears throat> a rocky start? You know, somebody's come in with that kind of fixed mindset that you're just not going to, you're not going to do the job. How do you, how right. do you, how do you go from there? Right. And that's a great point because you're right. We've all had parents that come in and I'm bringing my lawyer, I'm bringing my advocate, I'm mm -hmm. bringing my, and you're kind of like, whoa, we didn't even meet yet. You don't know that you need to bring a lawyer because you're assuming uh, because it's been other experiences, they've heard um, concerns that parents, other friends have had um, anywhere with anything, just getting anything done. And so they come in an adversarial approach. I think you have to build that trust and building trust takes a long time. And it's really just from the basics of having conversations with them and basically saying, look, we're going to communicate here. We're going to communicate and I'm going to hear you. Because what these parents want in many cases, they want to be heard. And they want you to look at them. You want to hear what this is. Now, many times what they're saying can't be done, is not in the best interest of the child. Um, you know, as professionals, we have to make some of those recommendations. You know, as a parent, we just can't say, well, I want this for my child. That may not be the best thing for your child educationally. And we have the experience, but we have to let them know we heard them and why what they're asking for may not be the best thing. I think if you take the approach where a parent comes in and asks for something, you say, absolutely not, we can't do that. Well, then they're going to think you really are on the other side. Now we're going to have a battle. If you say, You're just saying no to say no. They say no, no, no. 
um, say, yeah. look, let's talk about it and let's look educationally at why that really is not going to work for your child. You know, mm -hmm. if you have a child that needs to be in a self-contained class, okay, and the parent says, I want my child in inclusion all the time. You have to explain to them, look, I get it. Our goal is to have your child included. Our goal is to have your child to be able to just resume general education, but they're not there yet. And this is why they're not, but this is the plan. So look at what they want and see if that can be incorporated in your plan. You know, maybe that's mm -hmm. never gonna happen for some kids. Maybe it'll happen uh, way down the road or maybe it'll happen in a little fashion, but you kind of give them a hope because if you don't give them a hope, they feel you're not hearing them. Right. And I think it's building the trust and dealing with anybody, it's you hear me. You may not agree with me, but at least you're hearing me. And I think that's the key. It's the key to bringing them back into the situation. Yeah, let's hear it. Let's talk about it. And I'm mm -hmm. going to tell you why. Now, I'm not going to say it works 100% of the time. That would be foolish. Sure. But I think when you're in a meeting with somebody and the parent wants something, and for whatever particular reason, you don't think that's educationally sound, I mean, you want to work for everybody walks out with some understanding of this is the best plan. You may not be totally happy because it's not what you wanted, but you can't say this isn't a good plan for your child. So I think that's really the key is really getting into that and finding out where are they coming from and trying to make a plan to see if you can help them achieve what their ultimate goal will be. Right. And, and in order to help them achieve their <laughs> ultimate goal, you have to have a sense of what they really what that goal is and you only find that out by listening that's right because they're thinking you know i need equine therapy because <laughs> that's right i uh, this is how <laughs> my child is going to learn how to take care of themselves and and be attentive to others right right you know you're absolutely right your child does need to learn how to take care of himself and be attentive to others right. and here's how here's our idea of how we're going to do it right and here's why this is the best fit plan absolutely. for your child right right so right and yeah. this will meet the same needs. <clears throat> you don't have to send them to a camp all summer. Um, but this is how we can meet those needs. Right. And and also finding out where do they see their child in the future? Mm -hmm. You know, and working with them to help them understand the reality. And as a parent, we always see our we all see our children, you know, going to Harvard you know, becoming a multi-billionaire, doing all that. <clears throat> and we all see that for our kids, having a successful marriage and whatever. So you have to understand that and then just say, okay, for your child, what, what can we help them achieve? Hopefully they'll achieve all that stuff. But what can we do to help them achieve? You know, because we have to remember everyone has a value. Everybody has a contribution to this world. And whether... It's different than yours or mine. It doesn't mean it's any less important. And I think right. we have to tell the parent, your child has value. They may not be able to read as well as this other child. They may not be able to be, go to college for whatever reason, but they have value and they can do this and they can have a successful life um, regardless of what challenges they may have. They can be successful and we're here to make them successful. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So,
that's a you know that, that <clears throat> starting point with with an individual family <clears throat> with with an individual parent um of of really understanding what 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 are their goals what are they trying to achieve what are their hopes what are their fears also right sure. what are they trying to avoid um so that's that's clear i think you have to you also have to maintain communication with larger groups of parents right. you know you have to you have to be able to communicate <clears throat> to parents in the aggregate and community stakeholders more broadly right. so how do you how do you go about that? What are what are some of your keys to that? Well, you know, it's interesting because nowadays with social media out there, it's actually much easier. There's many more venues to be able to mm. to communicate. And I think during the pandemic, a lot of us kind of honed those abilities. So for instance, one example we um for our uh, speech therapy, we created webinars that the children, because we were remote at the time, <clears throat> would receive their services through um, virtually through the. But we also created webinars for parents to be able to reinforce that at home. Okay. And we and parents and we created webinars that would be like, how do you do the homework with your children? If your child is having a rough day, what you should do. And so it's really getting all that information out. We use a lot of we use Twitter, Twitter. We use Instagram. We you know. We have very active websites. Um, we do all of those things, and it's easy. Now, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. Thankfully, <clears throat> I have really good staff who know how to do this. So because I, you're part of a team, too. Yeah, because right? I'm part of a team. And, you know, yes. you get these people, and you say, look, I gotta, we got to continually give messages out to these parents, especially during the pandemic. How do we do that? I require, like the child study team, especially during the pandemic, every week they would touch base with every parent. And it was just a simple shooting of an email. You know, how is John today? John, whatever, you know what I mean? Is everything going all right? Because that communication flow is key. Because what the worst thing is when you stop communicating and then rumors start. So it's very hard when you have a large group of parents because in a small district, you can, you're able to maybe see them a little bit more. Big district, it's difficult. So you have to use these venues. We sponsor a lot of um, professional development for our parents. We're doing virtual now. We will invite like 500 parents that can log on and we'll have different topics that are of interest to them. Uh, of course, we have our CPAC with any district would have, which is your parents, um, special education parents advisory group. I have a wonderful CPAC where we have about 40 uh, members. We have every school is represented. And their job is to bring back information to us that we're not hearing. Because parents will tell other parents when some parents, especially different ethics group, are a little afraid to tell the administrators because they're afraid mm -hmm. it's going to happen or they'll take it out of my kid. But they might say to a parent, you know, we tell the parents we want to hear. We have a hotline for parents. You can call it anonymously if there's mm, an issue. Mm. You could call if if um if we have a phone and an email hotline if you have a question. Um because you don't want not to have constant communication. Because like I said, that's when rumors happen and that's when people will fill in that void. And they will tell you, for instance, special ed isn't doing this. Well, you are doing it, but you never told anybody right. you're doing it. 
So it's our job to make sure you understand what we're doing and why we do things. And so we use a lot of social media, and I think my colleagues are all doing that now. And certainly I think it makes it a little easier. We also do, as most people do, um, in Jersey City, at least the superintendent does a weekly, um, you know, shout out to the parents and an update, you know, through these automated systems. He calls them every Sunday night. It's great because what they're right. hearing is, you know, this is coming up in school this week. This is that. And so parents have more communication with us nowadays. I think that's just the nature of social media and those things mm -hmm. that are developed and we're able to use. Yeah. So yeah. what I'm hearing is is a, a very proactive rather than a reactive approach. You have to be. Yeah. You know, because not only do people think you, you you're not doing things when you don't communicate with them, but when you don't when you you know when you have that weekly call that you right. make to, to give the parent a positive update, that can offset if you have to make a call with a concern. Whereas you know traditionally, what's happened in school is if you got a call from the principal wow, that was a big problem or a call from a teacher. Right. Smaller problem, but a problem. That's right. Um, so reaching out to parents and, and letting them know about good things that are happening in, for the whole group, for the whole school, for the district, for their child individually, right. that, that's very powerful. So, And in addition, letting them know what's going on in the community. There's a mm -hmm. lot of things out there for kids to be doing. So we'll do yes. it in our email conversations or, or Twitter thing. Hey, this is coming up. If you want to take your kids to the park, this is coming. And you talk to other agencies because rec departments are doing fabulous things out there. And you want, so you let them know. And I think that reinforces, hey, they just don't care about my child during the school day. They care that we have something to do. The library is having something going on this Saturday for right. us. We say, hey, if you if you're free, we have Liberty Science Center in our backyard, which is which is a wonderful gift to have. So we'll say Liberty Science Center is doing this thing. So I think that's the important thing is just making sure there's a constant flow of communication, and um, it's difficult. You know, I'm fortunate because I have somebody that can do that for me uh, because we are a big district. But it really just even if it's just once a week or twice a week, how great is it to hear? You know, from the school, look, hey, this is happening. This is what you could do. We're thinking of you. You know, especially during the pandemic was very helpful. Yeah. And, and it also reinforces the idea that the school is part of the community and learning right. extends beyond the school day. Right. Um, the school doesn't have all the answers, but the school has connections to people who have different answers and different different ideas and different that's activities. Right. And so... Yeah, that's right. that's also very powerful. Yeah. And listening to parents, because parents will give you great ideas. A lot of the things we've done is because parents have mentioned it to us. Now, there's some things we can't do. But I get a lot of really wonderful ideas talking to parents. Um, things I don't think of, because I don't know all the new things going on. I don't know what their needs are. And, you know, if you're open to listening to parents, they'll tell you. They'll tell you what mm -hmm. because they're in the community. And many of us are not part of the community or removed from the community. And they'll tell you, look, did you ever think of this? Or and you're like, oh, I never thought of that. But, you know, we, we could do this. We could do a, a weekly blast on, you know, what type of we, we were doing. Even these are educational shows coming up on PBS for your kid. We were looking at I had some of my 
Typically, teachers look and say, look, we're recommending these things for your kids. You have nothing to do with them over the weekend. On Saturday night, this thing is showing and it's talking about whatever it might be, nature or something. Hey, you may want your child to look at this. Then, then it kind of says to the parent, you know what? They're invested in my child. And we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm thinking about as you're, as you're describing this on this part, I'm thinking about generating buy-in mm-hmm. and I'm thinking about how valuable it is when you do take those parents' ideas and put them into action. Because right. as you said, parents are always talking to other yep. parents. So, Hey, I came to Dr. Cristinino, listened to my idea and actually implemented it. And right. it's wow. So we really do have a stake in this. We really are a team. This is a partnership. Right. It really reinforces that idea. Plus, You've just implemented a great idea. That's right. Which is working to the benefit of many. So and and give them the credit. Like right. you, we don't need the credit for everything we do. Let's be, you know, <laughs> we need to share the credit. Um we if to me, if a child years later, I've had several people come to me, I've been doing this for a long time, saying that you were my psychologist in fourth grade and the person is their their late twenties and they've brought actually their children here to meet me. To be honest with you, sometimes I don't even remember them. I mean, it's unfortunate, but you know. But those were the best times because you see, look, we did something and we all did it together. And so give people the credit. If parents give me an idea, I have no problem giving ideas. I have no problem stealing ideas. I love to go to conferences and steal other people's ideas because Mm -hmm. I'll give you credit. I'll say I went to like in Newark and they have, they're doing this and we're going to do it, but, um, but we're going to do it. And I'll tell you where, so I think that's really it. Just listening and, and let them know you value them. Right. Absolutely. So we've been talking about all the right things, right? We've been talking about how to do it well. What are some critical mistakes or pitfalls that, that school administrators need to avoid? And, and we all have them, you know, you know, I mean, it's happened to all of us. We know them because we've made them, right? We've so. made them, right. <laughs> and we see when other people are making it. And one uh, positive thing about being in a system a long time and you're working with younger people new to the field is you can tell them I've done that. I've made the mistakes. I've, I prejudged a parent as they, as they come in because of their attitude or I've, um, I didn't know enough about certain cultural um, mores of parents, and that's that's what. You, and you need to know that stuff. And so I, I made the mistake. I made assumptions. I, um, I wasn't open because the parent came in and they weren't very nice. So the next time they came in, I already felt we're um, we're not going to do well here, you know. And it's kind of understanding and accepting that and say, look, we're going to make a lot of mistakes, but we're going to be open to fix them. And we're going to listen to people. And feedback is so important. I'm very fortunate because I have a lot of wonderful staff who have no problem telling me when I'm wrong. And I want them to tell me when I'm wrong. Because if I have such the ego that I think I'm always right, then I'm doing a lot of stuff wrong. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. need to ha- be open to hear what you're not doing the right way. And then you reflect on it and you either accept it and change 
or you say, I don't really own that, you know? And if you don't own it and enough people are telling you, the you know, you're wrong, then, then you're foolish, you know? So I think that yeah, yeah. be open to be wrong and to, and to admit your mistakes. And we've all made them. And I think we prejudge people and we have set ideas and we get busy and we have an agenda and a parent walks in and our agenda is to get this meeting over because I have three other meetings following me. And so you need to say, wait a minute, this is someone's child that I'm rushing through because I'm getting to the next one. And the parent's not going to be happy and they shouldn't be happy and I wouldn't be happy if it was my job. So I think that's it. Just be be open to make that and admit you made mistakes. And you're going to make mistakes. And I make mistakes all the time. But surround yourself with people who will honestly tell you when you're wrong. And I think yeah. that's the key to life. I think it's the key to life. Let people, you know, and it shouldn't only be your wife or your husband. It should be other people. Keep right, people in exactly. your life. Yeah. Right. That will tell you when you're wrong. And then being able to own it and admit it when you, you know, have been. It. And, and digest right. it. And, and no, right. just because they say it doesn't mean it's true. Digest And learn from it. And learn from right. it. Learn from yeah. it. Yeah. It's important. So when you, how, how do you, when, how do you adjust when, well, I think you've kind of answered this, but I was just wondering how you assess progress and, and how you adjust when you encounter a problem. <laughs> um, you know, how do you know it's going well? How do you know when you need to make a change and, and how do you make that adjustment? So you have to have your ear to the ground. And I think we've discussed this. You have to always be taking the pulse of everything you do. And you get that from a lot of key stakeholders. You get it from your staff, you get it from parents, you get it from parents groups. Um, I'm not a big believer in reading everything that people put on these, these blogs and stuff because Many times it's um, just one or two people that are disgruntled because they didn't get exactly what they wanted. But it's good to know that that's out there, you mm -hmm. know, because they might be right or they might have feelings other people have. And maybe you need to make people understand why we couldn't do this. Um, so I think it's just important to always have your ear to the ground and to listen to a lot of key people out there who are willing to share with you what they're hearing. Because I can sit in an office all day and not see a child. I mean, because we're, for instance, in this district, it's a big district. Um, but I need to know what's going on with those kids. You know, we have 46 schools. I gotta know what's going on with all those kids in those schools. So I have, people like my supervisors that go out there and they bring me back this information. And then I'll know, do I need to get a little more involved and a little more involved? So it's really just kind of being open. Listen, listen to people. You'll hear it. You'll know what's going on. And mm -hmm. then before process it and adjust it. If indeed there's validity. You know, if it needs to be adjusted, you need to adjust your approach. Do that. Just don't say, all right, Jay said it. I'm changing. Like process it and kind of think about it. And, you know, don't make decisions quickly. Don't make decisions on a personal level. None of this should be personal. 
this is about you, this child. It's not my feelings, the parents' feelings, this one's feeling. This is about that child. And don't take it personally if the parents think you're wrong or I think they're wrong or just work within that frame and just focus on the child. And I don't always have to be happy, you know? I just have to do what's right for the child. I don't have to be loved by everybody. I have to do what's right for the child. Boy, isn't that one important? I don't right. have to be loved by everybody. No, you know? yeah, and you're not going to be, you know? Right. I always tell people, stand in line. Stand in line. There's a lot of people, I'm sure, that don't like what I do. Or I don't, but you can't. I don't want to hear that I don't do what's right for a child. You could say you don't like what I did, but you can't say, in my mind, it wasn't the best thing for that child. And that's, to me, focus on what's best for him and her, and then you can't go wrong. Good. So I'm thinking of one more question, and it's kind of almost a summary question, right. which would be, you know, what have you seen as some of the beneficial outcomes, like the main beneficial outcomes that you've seen out of, out of putting <clears throat> relationships first? I think you see um, an easier flow in the educational process when you're working together. I think you can get a lot more accomplished when we're all on the same side. I think that's when that's happening is when ideas start to come up and when you can think out of, I hate this expression, but outside the box because you're having these communications and things are going smoothly and you're not on the defense of the parents, not on the defense of the teachers, not being defensive. You're all working. And so it's sort of like you can really look at the next level. Okay, we're doing this. What can we do now to move the child even further ahead? Because we're not battling to do this thing. And I, I think that's the benefit. It really makes just a smoother transition. And, you know, parents, as we know, it's very anxiety-provoking to be a parent nowadays. It's probably when I was, was, was my child was younger also. But especially now with everything going on, everyone's anxious. And if we can decrease that anxiety a little bit and make it a little better for them so they don't have to worry when their child comes to school, and they could just take a moment to breathe and think of something else in their life that they may need to be addressing. That to me is a real benefit. And so we need just yeah. to get along and keep our eye on the prize, which is this child being successful in life. And then we could sleep. Yeah, you, you're making me think of two things. You're making me think of, of what was the standard of care that I had when I sent my kids to school. And right. it was that I wanted to feel that they were in good hands for the day. Mm -hmm. I wanted to feel that they were being taken care of. I wanted to feel that they were being challenged. And I wanted to feel that they were making progress. So that was one thing, you know, it's yeah. always been a standard of care for me as an educator is what would I want for my child? Right, right. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing I was thinking when you were talking about flow and getting more accomplished, I had this image of of like a, a crew rowing, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, rowing, a rowing a, a boat. Right. And when a crew is rowing well together, they are in rhythm. They are in sync. Right. Uh, the boat is moving smoothly through the water. That's and they're and they've overcome the inertia of being still and now they have the inertia of motion and so things keep progressing forward and it's smooth no that's perfect so. and and taking that even further 
And when waves come up and you're going over, mm. you know, some rapids a little bit, if you're all in sync, you're able to get beyond them. And you're, you're yeah. going to be able to be successful, master them, and continue on your way. So I think that's a great analogy. Yeah. Well, thank you. I yeah. think, well, I want to thank you because this has been, yeah. this has been such a great conversation. Um, I love the ideas that you're putting to work. I, I love this idea where you, of, of how you, you really facilitate this process of people working together and all pulling in the same direction because it just makes everything so much easier and leaves people feeling uh, so much more satisfied and, and cared for, um, which is what you really want. So um, really some invaluable insights that you've shared today. So thank you again. Thank um, you. And I enjoyed our conversation us. and I'm learning from you. Believe me. And I'm, and I'm going to use your rowing analogy. So I'm telling you, I'm stealing it right now. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> I love when people steal my ideas. It means That's it was right. a pretty good idea. So, but thank you. It's um, been an honor. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Jerry. It's been a pleasure. So listeners, don't forget to check out our website at www.thrivealliancegroup.com where you'll find previous podcast episodes and webinars, notifications on upcoming presentations, and our blog where we address numerous topics related to student mental health and wellness. Conversations about student mental health is brought to you by Thrive Alliance Group, partners in school-based mental wellness. Have a great rest of the day, everybody.